0: I muted myself again. I'm sorry, Colin. That was my bad that time. The other time, too, but we won't talk about that. Anyway, uh, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Will you join me in prayer as we get started? Father, I thank you. God, what an amazing and exciting time to be alive. Lord, you have promised us hope and grace and love. God, every day that that we draw breath, help us to be reminded of the hope that you have given us in Christ. God, we need your help in this place. I need your help in this place. God, I pray that you would take control of these services. God, use them for your power, your glory, your honor, your great name. God, we know that that Satan would like nothing better than for us to come and feel good about ourselves and go home and nothing happened, nothing changed in our lives. But God, that's not what we're praying for this morning. God, we're praying that you would change us God, that you would make us new, that you would make us who you want us to be. We can't do that. That's not something we can manufacture. We know that, Lord. We confess our weakness before you. God, we confess that we are not able. We are not capable. We are not worthy. We do not deserve anything. But God, that you are good and that you love us and you have shown us grace. Help us to live in that mercy and in that grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to begin this morning by reading just a, a short passage before we get into our passage in John fifteen. It's actually written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of John, the Apostle John. He shares with us in Revelation chapter five and verse nine a, a vision that God allowed him to see of heaven. And as we sang this morning, I and, and as I thought about this morning, I thought this would be appropriate to begin. <clears throat> John writes these words, he says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. I share that with you this morning, this picture of worship that goes on around the throne of God for the Savior who has saved us from our sins. I share that with you because this is the desire of those who follow Christ to be able to join in this heavenly song, to be able to sing for all eternity of the glories of the One who died in our place. And I begin there this morning because I want us to understand something. If this is who you are and this is what God has called you to, then you do not belong here. And by here, I don't mean in this room. I mean in this world. And by this world, I don't mean the, the, the created order, the rocks, the trees, the mountains, all that. I mean in this world as in this culture that has set itself up as opposed to the One who created all things and calls us to worship Him. What I want to share with you from God's Word this morning is that we, those who have trusted on Christ and have believed on Christ and who are following Christ, do not belong to this world. We are different. We are weird, if you will. We are not normal. The, the Bible describes this world as being opposed to God, anti-God, heading away from where God would have us to be. We are not part of this world system that opposes uh, Christ and His name that opposes the God of the universe, guys. We don't belong. And, and to, to to share with you a little more about what I mean, I I, I happen to think about when I was in seminary. We uh, there was a I, I was I don't know if you know this, but I'm sure those of you who are in school or have ever been to school, you know what it's like to try and find an easy class. You ever tried to find an easy class? Well. I did. Uh, apparently, the, the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, is which we're a part of. Once a year, they have a, have a convention of where all the churches come together nationally and, and vote on things. Well, apparently, they had a, a low year or whatever, so they, they uh, gave a class on the SBC. All you had to do to get three hours worth of credit was, you know, sign up for the class, go to one or two intense sessions, write a, write a paper and read a book, and then go to the convention. Like, that's how we got credit. Well, anyway, the, the, the convention was in Houston, Texas, so me and a friend of mine from seminary flew to Houston, Texas. And so we, we get there, we get downtown, and we, we we're walking back and forth to the convention each day. Well, I've never been to Houston, Texas before. I didn't know that it probably would have been better to rent a car, or that sort of thing. So we're walking up and down the sidewalks. Well, there, downtown is not quite like Hot Springs. There's nowhere to eat downtown, like on the surface. Like there's just nowhere to eat. We didn't know that before we got there. There's like one or two restaurants, and they all close pretty early, except for this one. This restaurant we found, it was me and my friend and a couple of other friends, you gotta understand we're young pastors, not knowing what to do. We come to this restaurant and we walk up and the guy meets us at the door and it's clear as we walk up that this is not exactly our scene, like dudes in a tux wearing hoodies and shorts, you know, and like everybody inside is wearing a suit, like it's not really our scene. We should have turned around then, but we did not. Even the dirty looks we were getting from all the people inside the restaurant that told us we shouldn't be there did not turn us around. Even when the, 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 the host takes us and puts us at the very back of the restaurant where no one else can be seen. like It's clear at this point they don't want us in this place. But we're like, man, we're hungry. We've got to eat. And then we get the, the menu. And, and again, not our scene, not my tax bracket. I was not aware of, of this. And so like there's a, we're looking for something to eat and it's like a side salad for 30 bucks or whatever. And we're like... I don't think we belong here. You know, like, I don't think this is our scene. I don't think this is where we should be. Like, everybody keeps telling us by the way they're looking at us. And then the menu's telling us that we have to get up and walk the walk of shame back out. We're like, no, sorry, man. We're not going to pay for the water. We almost got. But anyway, so we're walking. In fact, my friend had to walk back in because he forgot his phone. It's terrible, terribly funny. But, but, But as we're walking back out, everybody is staring us down and they're saying, we tried telling you by the way we were looking at you. You don't belong here. This is not where you're supposed to be. Like, you do not fit in with us. Guys, what Jesus is going to show us in this passage of Scripture is that's exactly what we can expect from the world around us if we are following Him. We don't belong here. We do not fit in. We are not the same. We are not headed in the same direction. We are not cut from the same the same looks that those people were giving us it's the looks that the world would give us as we attempt to live out the faith that Christ has put in us the faith that we are following after Him this is what's true for us we are different and and as I was preparing this (coughs) I realized this might be the least talked about subject in churches today like the stuff you used to not talk about like money and sex and stuff like that people talk about now but the thing no one really wants to talk about, the fact, is that Christians aren't cool. Like, believe it or not, your kids were right. You're not cool. Like, we are not cool. We are not part of the culture that we live in. We are not supposed to fit in. Like, that's what Jesus says. Listen to what he says. Let the, John chapter 15, verse 18. Sorry, that's the passage we're going to be in this morning. Forgot to mention that. John 15, verse 18. Jesus says this. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Hear what he's saying. He is saying that followers of Christ don't fit with those who don't follow Christ. I know it's this real deep, brand new knowledge, right? I mean, it's real hard to get at. Basically what he says is, if you're following him... You're not going to fit in with people who are not following him. You're going to be different. The world hates Christians because the world hates Christ. Jesus' first point here is that if you receive him, you will receive the same treatment that he received, which is hatred. In other words, to be like Jesus is to be different than the world. And then to be like the world is to be different than Jesus. James puts it this way in James 4.4. 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Jesus draws a line here. He, he says you can't be the people singing praise to the lamb that was slain and at the same time trying to fit in with all that what the world has to offer. It doesn't work. The world does not allow for diversity. Listen to verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus is saying those whom he has chosen, those who choose to follow him, are choosing to follow a path that is different than what the world is, is asking them to follow. He is saying when you begin to follow him, you are beginning to go upstream. You're beginning to go the opposite direction of where everybody else is going. You're saying, I no longer live to serve yourself. You're saying, I now live to serve Christ. You're saying, I no longer follow my own set of rules, my own set of standards. You're saying, I follow the rules and set of standards that God has given me. You're saying, no longer is my goal to glorify myself. My goal is now to glorify God. Jesus is saying, everything about your life is going to be different than the world around you. (coughs) You see, the world wants us to glorify ourselves. The world would like nothing better than for us to live for ourselves and ourselves alone. Jesus wants us to glorify him. He he, he tells us that we ought to do good works so that people would see them and glorify our Father who is in heaven. The world would tell us to do good works so everybody pats us on the back. You you see, what makes the world happy does not make God happy, and what makes God happy does not make the world happy. The one who influences this world is anti-God and anti-Christ. There, there is no middle ground for Satan. There is no middle ground for those who would see Christ's name run through the mud. Those who are influencers in this world will be okay and will accept anything, anything other than Christ. Tolerance seems to be the, the new religion of our day. Our, our culture seems to be okay with anything other than Christ. Like the, the worst possible thing it seems you could do anymore is tell someone else, they are wrong it's funny i I find it funny because what will happen is uh, these people who are open-minded and believe that everyone should think whatever they want to think will if you tell someone else that they are wrong tell you that you are wrong like all of a sudden these people who say you should be open-minded once you say no there actually is truth and there actually is a way to know truth and that the truth is found in the bible well now all of a sudden they have truth as well and their truth is is that your truth is wrong it's it's amazing how these Tolerant people become so very intolerant of everything. As soon as you begin to point out things that they don't like, now all of a sudden they have no room for tolerance. Why is that? Well, it's very simple actually. It's because the world we live in hates Christ. Why can they be okay with, say, like Islam, for example, and not Christianity? Well, because Islam is false. Satan's okay with falsehood, Satan's okay with false truth as long as it's not about jesus as long as it's not truth about christ this world doesn't care these tolerant people will become intolerant and hateful it's amazing sometimes you sit back and you watch and you see these things take place you're like do they not see the 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 discrepancy here do they not understand how they're not being faithful to their own teaching they don't care why do they not care because they're influenced by him who wants to see Christ not worshipped, not served, not believed in. And so when we stand up for Christ, we're standing against everything this world uh, stands for. They don't mind you promoting false truths. They just don't want you to say Jesus is the only way. If you begin to teach that there is absolute truth and that the only way to find absolute truth is within God's Word, then all of a sudden you will begin to get those looks that we got when we walked in that restaurant we shouldn't have been in. You've forgotten your place. You don't belong here. You are different. You are strange. Get out now. And so you you may say, well, you know, they're talking about being different. They they just want everybody to be different. No, that's not true. See, the world we live in is anti-different. They want you to think like they do. (laughs) They want you to believe that there is no such thing as truth. They want you to believe that Christ is wrong. And so, to stand up and say Jesus is right is completely and totally against everything this world stands for. And so Jesus goes on and he he makes this clear in verse 20. He says, Remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So here, Jesus, to give you a little bit of background, he's repeating something he said in chapter 13. (coughs) Remember in chapter 13, he gets ready to wash the disciples' feet. And so he's getting ready to wash the disciples' feet. And remember, this is what the the lowest servant in the house would do. They would come in and they would wash the feet uh, of of whoever was coming to dinner. Well, no one had washed the disciples' feet. No one had, had done that. In fact, all the disciples had decided they were too good for this job. They'd all decided that they were too important to wash each other's feet. Then Jesus begins to wash their feet. He begins to take the lowest uh, point of service within the group to show them what true humility looks like. And as he washes their feet, and after he washes their feet, he says, remember, a servant is not above his master. In other words, show humility to one another. You're not better than Jesus. Like Jesus is saying, if you're not better than me, then you ought to also wash each other's feet. Well here he uses the same teaching to say you're not better than him so you should expect the same as what he got. Well what did he get from the world? He did not get love from the world. He got hatred from the world. Why should we think that we should be exempt from what our master experienced? Why should we think we are better than he is and we should not receive persecution? Jesus is saying we ought to expect the opposition of the world around us. We shouldn't expect everyone to be okay with us being believers. We should expect them to hate us for being believers. This is completely... That's what I mean. We don't really like to talk about this because it makes us uncomfortable. Wait a minute. So you're saying that I may actually have people who don't like me just because I'm a believer. That's exactly what he's saying. That's not what I'm saying. That's what Jesus is saying. He is saying... That we should expect people to think of us as weird and not normal. That we should expect people to not be okay with us following Christ. In fact, it should worry us when the world is perfectly okay with us claiming to be Christians. Because apparently we are not doing enough to show what Christ looks like. If they couldn't get along with Jesus, how come they can get along with us? Like, if we look and sound exactly like everyone around us who doesn't follow Christ, are we really following Christ? Like if the only difference between us and our friends who claim not to be Christians is that we go to church on Sunday, are we really following Him? Like apparently Jesus expected there to be such a diversity, such a difference between us and the world that we would stick out like sore thumbs. That we would be seen as different. This is is convicting. This is challenging for me and I hope that it's challenging for you. How often do we want to downplay the differences between us and the world around us? I know I do. That temptation is ever-present. Not just because I don't want to be hated but because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Anybody else have that problem? Sometimes you don't want to hurt people's feelings. You don't want to tell them that they're wrong. Jesus says we ought to expect there to be opposition from those who hate Him. Like If the the world system that hates Jesus is okay with us, what does that say about us? We ought to be bold in our presentation of the gospel. We ought to be bold in our living out the faith that Christ has given us. Jesus says that if you are following the world, the world will love you. He says if you were of the world, the world will love you as its own. It will receive you as its own. Are you being received as the world's own or are you being cast out as someone different? Because do you believe you're better at being Jesus than Jesus? Like, I'm so good at being Jesus, the world loves me. (laughs) Like, no, that's not how it works. That could be a problem. Jesus said that they will hate us because of Him. Look at verse 21. (coughs) But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know Him who sent me. Notice it doesn't say they will do all these things to you on account of the fact that you're all a bunch of jerks. Like, this doesn't give us a pass to be jerks. <laughs> it doesn't give us a path to try and make people mad. That's not the point here. He says they will do this because of who he is, not because of who we are. Like, this isn't a path to say, well, it's just who my personality is. I just make people mad. No, like, it, it, it has to be because of who Christ is. It's because of our relationship to him. And, and he goes on here. Look at verse 22. <clears throat> if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin but now they have no excuse for their sin whoever hates me hates my father also and if I had not done among them the works that no one else did they would not be guilty of sin but now they have seen and hated both me and my father hear what Jesus is saying he's saying here that the more clearly the gospel is displayed the greater judgment God will require he's saying he's not saying here that had he never talked to them these people would not be guilty that's not his point his point is, is that he had clearly articulated the gospel. He had clearly articulated who he is. They had all the evidence they needed and they rejected him all the same. His point is, is that the greater the clarity of revelation of who Jesus is in your life, if you still reject him, that's even more judgment upon you. That's his point. The, the, the generation that he is speaking to have seen Jesus clearly displayed in their presence. They have seen him clearly displayed right in front of their eyes and they chose to reject him anyway. So what Jesus is saying here is they are all the more guilty. I wonder how guilty the people in America will be who have the gospel, who have open access to the gospel, who have people share the gospel and continually reject him. I wonder if that's you this morning. How often? Has God clearly displayed Himself to you and you continually rejected Him? Jesus says the more clear the the revelation, the greater the judgment. Look at verse 25. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Those who hate Christ do so without any logical reasoning. Here's the point. The, the, The love of Christ not man's logic will lead to people being saved people will be won by the love of christ not logic the reason i point this out is because jesus makes this clear here when he says they hated me without a cause these people who hated jesus they didn't hate him based on their reasoning they didn't hate him based on the logic and the, the information that they were given they hated him because they hated him think about what jesus did You know what Jesus did for these people? Well, He went in and He fed the the hungry. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He told them to love one another. He told them that He offered them salvation freely. All they had to do was receive Him. Like, that's the sort of things Jesus did. And they killed Him for it. Why did they kill Him? Not because of logic. Not because of reason. But because of a lack of love for Him. Guys, our hope in sharing the gospel... Our hope in seeing people come to Christ is not more reasoning or more logic or more information. It is the love of Christ. It is the power of the gospel as God draws people to himself through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. We'll see this as we go on through the the end of this uh, the, these chapters over the next couple of weeks. We don't have time to get into this this morning. But we, what we see here is the beginning of Jesus teaching how the Holy Spirit's role here in drawing people to salvation. Jesus is saying these people have rejected Him not based on reason or logic but simply because they hated Him. <coughs> he says, but the Holy Spirit's going to come in and He's going to bear witness about who Jesus is. And so Jesus's point is When we take the gospel out, we do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we want to see people come to know Christ, it has to be through the power of the Holy Spirit to see convicts man. Notice the second part here of our job in verse 27. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. You notice that it is the Holy Spirit giving power to the witness that we are sharing when he says bear witness, what this word witness means is, is tell people what you've seen. Tell people what Christ has done. Sometimes we make sharing the gospel to be this, this huge ordeal and this horribly complicated technical practice. It's not. It's bearing witness to what Christ has done. It's bearing witness to who Jesus is. We we think that we need to be well versed in apologetics and all these different nuances of all these different theological points of view. But what Jesus tells his disciples is is you'll bear witness about who he is, as the Holy Spirit bears witness about who he is. It's actually not up to us. Logic and reason will never get anyone into the into heaven. What will get people into heaven is the Holy Spirit applying to their hearts what we are sharing. It is the power of God. Paul said that he is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. It is as we share the gospel and God bears witness with their hearts about the witness we are sharing that people come to faith. It's not about how smart you are. Like if it was about how smart you were, we would be in trouble. Right? If it's about how smart I was, I know we would be in trouble. It's about how amazing Jesus is. It's about the amount of love that he has and the amount of power he has shown in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. And so Jesus is saying here, our hope, the people around us' only hope is for us to share the gospel in love and for the Holy Spirit to make it real to them so that they can come and they can believe and they can become new. Guys, we live in a world that is not for Christ. We live in a world that is anti-Christ. Just, just so you don't think... Sometimes we, we, you know, we sort of do bait and switch with Christianity, make it out to be one thing when it's another. I, I, want, I want to be clear on this. We're, we're not talking about fine print here. It's not like, oh, I came to know Jesus, now all of a sudden everybody hates me. Nobody told me about this. That's not how Jesus operates. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16, just quickly. <coughs> he says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus is saying this is not fine print. He is saying from the very beginning, when you live for Him, you will not be liked by the world. This is not news. This should not be news to anyone who follows Jesus. From the very first day that we take up the cross and follow after Him, we are asking for the persecution of the world around us. We are going against the grain. We are going against the flow of culture. And we are saying, we are stepping outside of what the world tells me to do so I can follow Christ. Now, just as a qualifier, Jesus does not say, since the world hates you, go and hide. No, that, that would kind of be what the world would want, right? The world and Satan himself would love if we never told anybody about Jesus again. If we just kept it all to ourselves. No, our goal is not to insulate ourselves with as many Christians as we can so we never hear anything negative. Like that, That's not the goal at all. Our goal is to, to be witnesses to the people around us who have never heard. Our goal is not to be obnoxious, pointing out everything everybody does wrong. Our goal is to take the love of Christ that he has shown in our hearts and share it with them through the things that we do to serve them, the things that we do to to show them that that Christ actually does love them the way that he loves us. He calls us not to hide from embarrassment and doubt, uh, embarrassment about who we are and what he has done. No, he calls us to be bold and claim the name of Christ and proclaim the gospel in everyone's life that we come in contact with every chance we get. And so he calls us to uh, share the gospel. You guys, uh, Satan's goal, let me, let me add this in as I'm near the end here and I'm trying to pull in some more stuff before I run out of time, but, but, but Satan's goal is if he cannot keep you out of heaven, it's to make you ineffective to get other people there. Like if Satan can't keep you from Christ, he will do everything he can to use you keep other people from him. I was reminded of that this week, and I, I was just reminded, I, I was sitting at the stoplight yesterday morning after studying this passage, and I, I just God just reminded me that sometimes I, I tend to complain, I don't know if any of y'all ever complain to God, I do on occasion, about how hard it is to live for him, about how hard it is to serve him, about how hard it is to do his work, and he was like, yeah, it's almost as if the entire world doesn't want you to succeed i wish i would have told you that ahead of time oh yeah oh yeah that's right sometimes we forget god guys we we forget that god has already showed us yeah the world doesn't want you to succeed the world doesn't want you to tell people about jesus the world does not want you to live faithfully for him he doesn't satan does not want you to be joyous in him he wants you to be not happy he wants you to be mean he wants you to be bitter that's what Satan wants for you. Christ, he wants you to live joyously in him and share the gospel with everybody you meet. That is our hope. And so, uh, understand that it's hard. But he calls us to trust in him. Because if you want your friends and neighbors to come to Christ, our hope comes in the power of the gospel to save them as we give them witness about who he is. We, we live, as Christians, we live in this strange place. We have this weird existence in this world. I want you to think about this. I'm going to leave you just a a thought or two and we'll be done. We, as those who follow Christ, are the least welcome in this world. But we are simultaneously called to be the most welcoming people. Those who follow Christ are more hated than anyone by the world. But we are at the same time called to be the most loving. You see, this world has no home for us. This world has no place for us. But Jesus has already made clear. He he went to prepare a place for us in heaven with our Father. And within His church, He has prepared a place for us. He has given us a family to support us. In verse 17, right before verse 18, when He says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. Right before that, He says, I say all these things to you so that you will love one another. Why do you think He does that? To remind us that we do have a safe space we do have a safe place we do have a place to belong among god's people among his family to support us Because we won't make it on our own we can't make it on our own we're not designed to make it on our own we can only do it through the the collective love and community of god's people the family that he has given us within his church. And so I want to encourage you. Yes, we fill out a place everywhere we go if we're living for Christ, except for when we're with his people. We always have a place to be. We always have a place to belong. Jesus went to the cross. He died to buy us our place to belong. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ, you never trusted on him, I want to encourage you. I want to tell you that this world will tell you that you can belong. This world will tell, promise you all sorts of things. But all of those promises are false. They all come up empty in the end. But Jesus says that he went to the cross. He died in your place. So that he can welcome you home. Do you want a home in heaven with him? All he asks is that you put your faith and your trust in him. That you believe on him. That you turn from your sins. And you put your faith and you ask him to save you. You've never asked him to save you this morning. Would you do that as we sing? Let's pray together.